0: Hello everyone, welcome to Care Talk. I know we've been gone for about 500 years, but we're back. A lot of things happened.
1: Maturation. Um,
0: (laughs) We've gone through maturation (laughs) and we're here again, but this time it's going to be a little different. So we're going to have kind of a season thing going on. So in the spring, we're going to have all the episodes already ready for everyone. Um, it's not going to be a weekly thing anymore It's going to be a twice a month or once a month Depending on what it is that we decide But we'll let you know like when the next episode is coming up At the end of the podcast um, So this week we're going to talk about Trauma-informed supervision um, And kind of like how it's like impacted us Or how it hasn't impacted us And maybe a little bit of our personal experiences And then also what in general like people in uh, work areas think about supervision. Like some people think it's a very difficult thing to do. Some people take it seriously. Others don't. And so obviously people get impacted differently in it. So Holly's going to start. So I'll take it away. Alright. Hi
1: everyone. I'm Holly Ramella. I am the care coordinator at the UNLV Women's Center. Um, which is different than I guess last time. So I've moved up in the world. This episode we're really going to talk about what trauma-informed supervision looks like um we're gonna look at it through the perspective of staff and employees um so Hafida and I will kind of talk about what that impact looks like when trauma-informed supervision isn't present and then we have a special guest yes um the one and only Ashley Yule yeah um, who I guess is famous for being on podcasts
0: I guess um, so <laughs>
1: She's going to talk about what it looks like to implement trauma-informed supervision as a supervisor. Um, so Hafid and I don't necessarily have that experience um, specifically when it comes to supervising staff. Um, so we'll really talk about it more from the perspective of, of being impacted by it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Being supervised. So um, kind of starting off, what does it look like when there isn't trauma-informed supervision? So what what do those impacts look like? And I mean, I think it's different for everybody. And I think also um, if we're not taking the time to check in with ourselves and really even able to have these discussions, then we don't notice what trauma-informed supervision is anyways, right? So many people are in supervisory positions and have really never been taught the skills or given the tools to be a supervisor. It's just assumed that if you're good at this job, you'll move up. And Mm -hmm. with that comes supervision. Yeah. And so... Um, we've been able to take some time to really think, really because of Ashley, right? She's been able to show us what that looks like. Um, And so with that, I think we've been able to kind of reflect and see, like, throughout our lives, um, not only how a lack of trauma-informed subversion has impacted us, but how we've seen it um, show up in our friends and family and other work offices, because you can really walk into a space and see if... Exactly, right? Um, So... I think one of the biggest impacts of not having trauma informed supervision is really this constant anxiety. Mm. Um, And so, obviously, for folks who already have anxiety, (laughs) that's a lot. Um, Yeah, right. But I think when you don't have somebody who's trauma informed, who's your boss, right, Um, you're constantly on your toes because Mm. you don't really know what to expect from them because they're not doing the work to. Crap out! This is how. This is what I expect from my employees. And so, when you don't have that, then there's no way to ever achieve those expectations because they're just not there. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that that brings on so much performance anxiety that you're constantly striving for a goal that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and that's just really hard. And you also, I think, a lot of times. When I think about trauma-informed supervision, I think about the fact that supervisors also have their own trauma, Mm -hmm. and they don't. If they don't heal from that or deal with it or acknowledge it, they often perpetuate it. And so, um, you know, when you go into work and somebody has that trauma and hasn't really dealt with it, a lot of times it can make the workplace really unpredictable. And so, Mm -hmm. you never know like how your supervisor is going to react because they may be experiencing um, re-traumatization or a trigger, and but they're not able to vocalize that, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of times when supervisors aren't trauma-informed, it doesn't mean they're evil, right?
0: Yeah. Um, it just means they. no one really taught them, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I think it's just, it's just a really crappy place to be for yeah. both the employees and supervisors. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then I think one of the other impacts is being overwhelmed by trauma so especially when um you work in the field that deals with trauma whether it's um, advocacy or anti-violence or you're just doing direct services like counseling or mental health or human services in general when you have a supervisor who isn't trauma-informed you're constantly having to deal with trauma without understanding how to cope with it right Mm -hmm. because nobody's teaching you that um and so that can be, like, it becomes a cycle. So all you're doing all the time is dealing with trauma with really no support. Yeah. And then with that, right, I feel like there's this huge feeling of isolated isolation and then you also feel really unsupported because when your supervisor isn't checking in with you and doesn't really have the skills to, to guide you, then there's nobody to bounce ideas off of, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if I have questions and my boss is either just... Um, really abrasive or is not trauma-informed so isn't aware of like how anxiety shows up for people and it's just really really like blunt or um, rude then it makes it really difficult to come to them with questions Mm -hmm. and so when that's absent then we can't there's no room for personal growth Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that can be really difficult because it's like the whole point of having a supervisor is for them to guide you yeah. into becoming the professional that you're looking to be, right? Exactly. And so sure. then when you leave, you really haven't gotten the skills mm-hmm. or the development that you need.
0: Yeah. And if you didn't get them, then you'll become that supervisor. Who won't do that for their super, like the person they're supervising? You know, which
1: sucks. So. Exactly. It's a cycle. Yeah. <laughs> It is it's
0: ugly. <laughs> I think like when I think about um, Trauma informed supervision I think about uh, Forgiveness from mm. supervisors And like an understanding that um, Maybe Your employee isn't going to get this work done But it's not because they're being lazy Or they don't have a drive To get the work done It's because sometimes things get in the way that Don't have a physical form Like mm. uh, depression might get in the way or your anxiety gets in the way, or you do get, especially when you work in, like, interpersonal violence, feel like you do get triggered um, if you've experienced that, and then that gets in the way, and that's not an easy thing to, like, step out of. And so when I think about trauma-informed supervisors, I think of them being forgiving and being like, I understand that, and I'm not going to put the work in front of your, like, stability kind of thing. Um, But I think, personally, uh, for me, when uh, supervisors trauma informed, they're they're willing to like listen and to understand your way of working. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, they understand that sometimes you might not work like everybody else is working in the office, um, and that's fine. And some supervisors will like you know say like, well, you have to work this way. Like you're gonna have to do this, and that's what you're gonna have to do. And then unfortunately, you'll you'll have to mold yourself to that, or you'll get fucking fired. <laughs> Um, but others, I feel when they're trauma-informed, they understand that. And they say, well, that's okay. We can work through that and make sure that although the way you're working isn't similar to how so-and-so is working, you're both producing the same thing. And our um, efficiency isn't being compromised, you know. Sure. So that's how I think about trauma-informed supervision. And I also think that if a supervisor is trauma-informed, um, when they slip or when they become... Maybe condescending a little bit. They they know that some that that wasn't right, or they can kind of catch themselves and they can say like, "I did. I'm sorry. Like that. Obviously, something came up. Um, I didn't mean to react to you like that." And something that I've learned is that most of the time it doesn't have to do with me. They're supervisors. I mean, they have a life outside of being supervisors, and sometimes that comes into their like job, and so they might you know snap a little bit and. I've learned to kind of just take that as, well, that's not me. Like, I didn't do that to you. Mm-hmm. You're kind of just, like, maybe projecting that on me to, like, back up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I haven't had that happen too often. I think that most of the time when people haven't known how to supervise me, they kind of have just, like, left me there and uh, – it's kind of like worked out most of the time. I'm like, okay, fine, you know, let me do my thing Mm -hmm. and I'll do my thing. But I think um, specifically when it came to Ashley and she'll probably talk about this later, is that she understood that with someone like myself who has, you know, ADHD and like anxiety and all that stuff, she kind of saw that uh, I was someone that needed like structure. Mm -hmm. So she's like, oh, I I see this like this brown boy and he needs help. (laughs) And I remember saying, like, girl, yeah, please, like, you know, give me a little give me a little help. <laughs> and so she gave me, you know, the structure and all that stuff. And um, it didn't have – maybe it had to do a little bit with, like, trauma. But I think it also had to do a lot with, you know, not being neurotypical. And one of the things that I noticed that she would do is she wouldn't be uh, condescending. You know, she wouldn't – one of the things that – well, in this article of, like um, – Eight things managers should never say to their employees. One of the things that they point they pointed out was that it becomes so annoying when your manager thinks that you're not understanding something. So they talk a little louder, and they talk a little slower, and they're like, okay, um, this is how you do it. So we're going to go on here, and we're going to go through it like this. And I've had supervisors who have done that before, and I'm just like, um, no, I didn't ask you to, like, take me through the steps, I just said, I don't understand. Can we, like, talk about it? And something I've noticed with Ashley is she'll say, okay, well, then um, what's the question? Or what is it that you don't understand? And she'll take me through it. But if I need someone to be like, girl, I really don't understand this. Like, you have to take me step by step because I've never done this before. then she'll be like, great. This is how we do it. This is what happens afterwards. And I'm like, great, because I asked for that. You know, I didn't – the supervisor didn't immediately go and say, like – Okay, step one, two, and then three. It's like, girl, I'm not dumb. Like, you don't have to talk yeah. to me like that, mm-hmm. you know?
2: It and patronize me. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, and another one of the things that they mentioned was when – I and I, I never really thought of this, but when – let's say you're, like, at a holiday party or something mm-hmm. – And your relationship with your supervisor isn't that great. And you do a lot of work. Um, And then they make a joke when they're talking to someone else. And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, here. I would like you to meet Holly. Um, She is she's the one who's like keeping the office together. LOL, LOL. And they kind of laugh, you know. And it's like, no, don't joke that way. Because we don't really have that great of a relationship. Mm. And... I kind of (laughs) am, you know, so, like, you're not understanding, you're, as a supervisor, you're kind of, like, failing me, and then you're kind of, like, making a joke out of this stuff, like, in front of everybody else, like, please don't do that. Um, I don't like you. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> you. And I was like, like I never you. thought of that. Because, you know, like when you think about like in movies and stuff and there's always that like secretary like woman or something who like got the job at the firm mm-hmm. and she really is keeping everything in yes. order. And then they go to like the, the party or something and they're like, oh my God, this is Rebecca. Um, Oh, she's phenomenal. She's the one who like brought the magazine to so and so. But
1: we're not really gonna give her the credit. We're not gonna pay her for it. Yeah. we're not gonna like exactly. actually compliment her to her face.
0: Exactly. And None she's and and she's like, uh, lol. Like, yes, I have. I have. <laughs> and they like, yeah. like treat it as a joke. So I never like thought of that. And I thought, you know, that's such like a movie example, but like, because sure. it does happen. And I, I guess I kind of have seen it like around you know these areas. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, oh, and then also the one where I think I've had this, maybe not just at work, but also like at school, um, where they tell you, don't worry about it. or like, oh, it's no big deal. But throughout the whole week, you've been worrying about it the whole time, and yeah. it has been a big deal for you. And maybe you weren't able to mention that, like at a one-on-one or at a meeting with your group. But at the end where when you do bring it up and you're like, I'm so sorry, like I didn't get this done, like so and so and so and so, and they're like, Oh, it's not even a big deal, like don't even worry about it. Yes. Like, I spent a month <laughs> worrying about it though. You could have if you could have just told me it wasn't that big of a deal, it would have been fine.
1: Like I wouldn't have had to waste this time and now I'm behind on other things that you apparently are prioritizing. Yes, yes. And if you could have just told me what your priorities are from the beginning, exactly, then we'd be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like, don't set me up to fail.
0: Exactly, set me know. up to succeed. Yeah. And so that's something that you know with Ashley, she you know gives us deadlines to exactly, know that stuff. And She yeah. does all that, so like we know where our priorities are, and she's always you know this is your priority, Hafey. <laughs> and so it's it's clear. It's very clear. But that's like something I personally didn't like see because sometimes that did happen. Um, and I would worry, but I didn't, I didn't know that that was happening to like a lot of mm. other people, you know, but they were like, kind of just kind of like being led on and like, shit, bitch, if I don't get this done, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. And you show up to and the meeting
1: job. I'm and you're wait. like,
0: it's not a big deal. Yeah, whatever. You don't have we to
1: worry about, about that. It. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times I see the way that people supervise is very similar to the way people parent. A lot of times people don't have the, the skill or aren't taught the skills and, and the, not the proper way, but, like, how to be a parent and how to be a trauma-informed parent, right? Because yeah. I think that's a thing, too. Yeah. And oftentimes we're just like, well, it's just something that happens. But in reality, there's no reason why we can't equip people to parent in a way that, that protects a child and, and gives them the space and this the skills to grow, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'll see people implement the way they parent into work. And so... I've had supervisors in the past who weren't even necessarily parents, but would act as though they were like, um, they were a parent to me, right? Because I was younger um, and I was newer to the field or whatever. And that's so condescending because I have a parent. I did not ask you to be my parent. (laughs) Yeah, I have a mother and she's fantastic. She's great. And, you know, um, like i don't like this is not this space and so yes. they'll act like that they'll also give me their opinions or t- kind of tell me what to do outside of work and i'm like my mm. personal life it is not, not concern you. your concern yeah um if you see my personal life showing up at work you can say how it applies there
0: yeah.
1: but other than that this is not the space mm-hmm. and also being aware like being able to read signals so for some, sometimes I'm really close to my supervisor, right? I really like them as a person. Like I enjoy spending time with them, but I've had supervisors in the past where they kind of try to like push that and try Mm -hmm. to be friends in in more than just like a supervisor, supervisee role. Mm -hmm. And instead of reading the situation as of like, I'm not comfortable, um, Mm -hmm. they push that, right? And Mm -hmm. so they're like, oh, like let's hang out or like, let me ask you questions about your personal life. And I'm like, that's actually a boundary that I can't even set with you because you pay my,
0: my bills, yeah. you know what
1: yeah. I mean? So I literally have to pretend that I, that I like you more than I do. Exactly.
0: And I feel like it would. it's up to the supervisor to, like, bring up the boundary and be like, yeah hey, I'm not going to do this with my, like, employee. Mm-hmm. And then if, like, things are vibing, you're like, you know, like, we're cool. Like, we're, like – we're like becoming friends then the supervisor would say like hey is this okay and then the employee would be like sure or like actually no like i don't want to do that we can just keep it to like where it is Mm -hmm. and i think when you talked about the uh, patronizing aspect brought me to this thing in the article where like a supervisor would say well that sounds good in theory but in the real world this is how this works And you're like, we live in the same Same world, world, girl. Like, so don't (laughs) talk to me like we live in two separate ones. Yeah. I understand that there's, like, a difference between a, like, director and someone who's just, like, a program specialist or something. You know, I understand there's a difference there. But, like... We, like, who
1: is actually in the real world? Then? Yeah, but like
0: we're working together. We're going through that. We're, you know, in the same field. We're facing the same people. So we are in the real world. Mm-hmm. And if there's a difference that, you know, I'm trying to do something and you're seeing it as a different way, you think there's a better way to do it, then you can say, I understand that. This is how we can, like make it better or like this is how we could do things differently like what do you think so it's like bringing both of your like levels together and understanding that you're supervising this person because they're not going to be in that job forever Mm -hmm. and so they're growing as they're like going through their career so you saying like that's cute but that's never going to work because this is the real world and this is how this is going to work in the real world it's like that that doesn't help you it doesn't help me either
1: which is super ironic also because so many times right the directors or supervisors in general are the ones who, and their jobs are difficult, right? Like, but they're doing it in a different way. So they are a lot of times like the person who has to make the relationships and make us look good, but Mm -hmm. then the people they're supervising are the ones doing the groundwork. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, actually, we are in the real world and we're the ones implementing this work, right? Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a balance between the two of us. Like, I know that this is the needs of the people we're working with you know that we're not going to get funding for that or something. So, like, mm-hmm. let's have those honest conversations mm-hmm. instead of pa- patronizing me, right? Yes, exactly. um, And acknowledging, like, oh, that yes, that idea makes sense. The problem is this. Yeah, if you and I want to do this. Yes.
0: I know this is what will not go, mm-hmm. but I know this is what you want to do. So you and I are going to work together exactly. to find a way to get this done.
2: Exactly. You know?
0: Okay, we're going to bring out Ashley Yule. So, welcome to Ashley Yule.
2: Thank you. Oh my
0: God, you're so welcome.
2: <laughs> my name is Ashley Yule. I'm the Assistant Director for the UNLV Women's Center. Um, I've been here for almost two years, but I've been in the anti-violence movement in the field for over 10 years. Um, I've done a... I've been involved in this work in a lot of different avenues. So, I was an immigration paralegal and I worked with a lot of undocumented folks who were doing various types of applications. And so, I worked with a lot of victim survivors of different types of violence. And then, I've also worked for community agencies like domestic violence shelters, sexual assault centers, like rape crisis centers. I've volunteered, or I've supervised volunteer programs. Um, I've done outreach programs, prevention education. I've really been involved in almost every position that this field, this mainstream anti-violence movement offers.
0: Dope. Yeah.
2: So I've seen a lot, and yeah. I've experienced a lot, and I've learned a lot, and but I'm also still learning. Um, being within this field and no longer being in community, but now transitioning into higher education. And yeah. how does this mm-hmm. field show up within higher ed and in institutions um, different from the community level? So mm-hmm. a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences too. for
0: sure. Yeah. So like give us a little bit of like maybe some of the similarities, but also like what is it that you would define as trauma-informed? Because mm-hmm. like, we have our ideas of like...
2: We don't supervise, right? Yeah, we don't supervise. Yep. So some of the similarities, I mean, the foundations and the roots of the work are ultimately the same, um, and the impact of trauma is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think similarly, um, we're working with victim-survivors of trauma and the Um, approaches are really quite similar um, especially being at the community level you know we're working with folks um, who are often students I think some of mainly the differences though are that working within an institution means abiding by that institution or that that system's Mm -hmm. policies and procedures whereas Mm -hmm. at the community level the executive director of a community agency they are the most powerful person in that agency mm-hmm. but being, sure. yeah, being yeah. here in the institution the director of the women's center is not the most powerful mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. Um, so things move really really slowly for sure um,
1: and that being said I think
2: one of the uh, biggest kind of if you can call it a concern I don't it's not my concern um, but the university will always really be worried about its own liability
0: yeah.
2: and that doesn't exist within really in community agencies. You know, the agency isn't like, who oh, are we liable for being sued? Um, or, you know, are we liable for this, that, or the other? And the mm-hmm. institution is always like any other system. It's always protecting itself first. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where I have really noticed, um, that trauma-informed supervision is not more or less important within um, a university women's center or anti-violence center versus a community. I think it's necessary because this is a traumatic field. Yeah. Um. And so when I talk about the importance of trauma-informed supervision, or when I'm really sharing with folks why this is so necessary, um, we know that most. If not all, but most of the folks who engage in this work are themselves victim survivors of violence, mm-hmm. and so if we are going to call ourselves a victim-centered, client-centered, student-centered, you know, person-centered field, and that we are survivor-led, and yet we are not as an agency centering the survivors who are also staff members, mm-hmm. then there's a disconnect and saying it more bluntly, it's hypocritical, right? Mm -hmm. There's hypocrisy there Mm -hmm. because we're saying that we care very deeply for survivors, unless you work for us, in which case you're only a staff member, Mm -hmm. right? You are as good as what you can produce. And that's really what I've seen in this field. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of folks be pushed out of this work because of their survivorship. Mm -hmm. And I've taken a break from this work because Of the added impact of, you know, the trauma of being a survivor, also the difficulties of engaging in this work as a secondary, you know, um, secondary trauma, meaning the trauma of hearing Mm -hmm. this work and engaging in this work. And then also the trauma that an organization creates um, by lots of transition and by um, not having appropriate policies or procedures and Um, the more corporate-minded or business-minded folks enter into this work without the foundation um, or an understanding of the true grassroots reason that the anti-violence movement was created, Mm -hmm. um, the more we're going to continue to see a lack of trauma-informed supervision, Mm -hmm. and I think it's dangerous. So that being said, what is trauma-informed supervision? So ultimately, trauma-informed really means – understanding the impact that trauma has on an individual in in all areas of their life um so really what impact does trauma have any type of trauma what impact does that have on the brain there's a lot of um, science and all kinds of we heard some of it during the kavanaugh hearings of what is that impact and, yeah sure. Right. Um, you know definitely encourage folks to out to you so they can do that homework because I for the neurobiology yes. of trauma, yeah, 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 and also what so, like, memory like mm-hmm. you're saying, the neurobiology so, memory, our cognitive abilities, decision making, short term, long term, you know, not just folks who were impacted by trauma, like a natural disaster or a one time assault, um, but also of continued abuse or mm-hmm. continued you know, growing up in poverty is traumatic. Yeah, and sure. so what impact did that have on a long-term uh, scale? And so understanding the impact that that has on a human and then allowing that human to show up as their full self in the in employee-employer setting. Mm-hmm. So that supervision, um, it really matters. And I think... It doesn't just matter in a human service field like ours; like it matters in a corporate setting, yeah, in accounting, sure. uh-huh, and yeah. all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Victim survivors are everywhere. Everywhere right?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. And then you had another question.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, thinking about trauma-informed supervision, where do you see when implementing it? Where do you see some of the barriers, especially when you're talking about different fields? Because um, you kind of talked about, you know, the anti-violence field, but then also the corporate field as well. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, um,
1: so I see there are
2: barriers on various levels. Um, so on the individual or relationship level, so the barriers between myself and staff um, is that being trauma-informed and allowing folks to show up as their full self means that it's very anti-capitalistic, to mm. be, to be mm-hmm. honest. For sure. Um, and so that means that I do not approach staff as production and what can they produce. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is, again, because we're seeing more um, corporate-minded, business-minded individuals coming into this field and grants are Mm -hmm. being written and graded, essentially, by the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, Trauma-informed is just another tool in order to get folks to produce more, you know, so Mm -hmm. we're telling people to practice self care so that they can produce more work, but not practice self care because I genuinely care for you as a human. Mm -hmm. Um, and your mental health matters. Like it matters for many people so much as like it doesn't impact their work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, so on an individual level, I've seen that a lot of folks aren't used to it. So I have to, um, prove it mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. which kind of demands this level of perfection that I am also a human mm-hmm. um, yes. and I am not always perfect and I am not a hundred percent trauma informed. And so, um, I think that's some, a barrier that there's kind of this pedestal that mm-hmm. I've been put on that like, Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. This is amazing. And then being trauma informed also doesn't often allow me the ability to say no or yeah. to set boundaries, uh-huh. um, because yeah. folks don't always understand how trauma-informed and boundaries go together, um, so it, those are some barriers. I mean, there have been a few, but those are probably the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, at, like I said, a systemic level or a community level, um, I've. it's difficult when no one, no other, especially in the institution, none of my counterparts are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So um, there's kind of this like, well, I'm not Ashley, or we're not the Women's Mm -hmm. Seminar, or, you know, that was great there. But there's almost like this pushback from partnering offices or agencies who um, don't appreciate Mm -hmm. (laughs) the, um, it's like um, the accountability Because in order to be trauma-informed, we have to acknowledge where we have not been, Mm -hmm. where we as an office or organization have caused harm, Mm -hmm. and where we as supervisors have caused harm. And if we can't acknowledge or refuse to acknowledge or are so stuck in the justification of, well, I was only that way because work needed to be done, or we were understaffed, or, well, you know, my supervisor is a piece of shit too, so Mm -hmm. I was doing the best that I could. You know, all these things which are valid, but they're not justifiable you know Mm -hmm. doesn't help us move forward it sure doesn't and so that's where I've seen that at a systemic level that the system does not want us to be trauma informed Mm -hmm. in the true radical sense yeah Um, they want us to be trauma informed so much as that we find new ways to get victim survivors to be productive
0: yeah
2: Um, and then at the societal level again it's very Mm -hmm. anti-capitalistic to look at the entirety of a human being and allow for their productivity to not define who they are yeah Um, but that also being said, oftentimes folks, um, the biggest fear that I've encountered from other people is that, well, what if my staff takes advantage of this? Mm -hmm, Like the moment that I start allowing empathy to Mm -hmm. be infused in my supervision, they will take advantage and they'll start, you know, emotionally dumping on me or treating supervision like it's therapy. And that's where boundaries are important, right? So being clear about our expectations. Um, there are ways to mitigate the barriers and address the barriers, but they're very real.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that's kind of, it's, it's, it seems really complicated because I know like at least between you and myself, I really appreciate like open communication and like the barriers that come up, but I can see how like, if that relationship isn't being built, how then I someone could easily be like, well, if I don't do this, that's fine because my supervisor's not going to like, do anything because of it mm-hmm. so i can see what you mean and then what are some rewards that you've experienced or seen because of trauma supervision trauma oh form supervision
2: yeah the rewards definitely outweigh the barriers mm-hmm. um the i would say some of the main rewards are when i allow my staff to show up as their full self then i also get to show up as my full self mm-hmm. so from a personal perspective um This really mattered when I was pregnant. Um, mm -hmm. I was pregnant, and I was coming to work, and I was allowed to come to work as a pregnant, you know, newly pregnant supervisor. So I, the first few months of my pregnancy, well, really, for me, the first seven months, I I was sick all the time. And for the first few months of that, I felt like I needed to hide that, right? Uh Because we're not allowed to be professional pregnant. That's not something we're allowed to do. It's not quote unquote, professional to puke into your garbage can because you need to, Um, or to step away, or, you know, whatever needs to happen, go to the bathroom every 10 minutes. Um, Or even talk about it, right? Yeah, or even acknowledge that, like, hey, I'm I'm having a rough day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Or I'm exhausted. Like, I was really tired and I was sleeping at random times because, you know, my body was growing a human. And that... The, because trauma-informed supervision had been introduced into our office during that time, my supervisor was very like, okay, let's let's um, problem solve and time manage and include your pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? So when we're talking about the goal setting and the hours that you're going to work and you know, there wasn't a, oh, you're pregnant, you don't have to get your work done. I for sure did have to get my work done, yeah. but it didn't have to look like the standard eight to five, you get a one hour lunch break and two 15 minute breaks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the corporate crap that we see all the time. It didn't, it wasn't like that. And quite frankly, we were the most, I would argue that our office was the most productive. It had been in a long time Mm -hmm. because we were able to, um, then with our students say like, okay, bring your school schedule into supervision and let's acknowledge what you are dealing with, with school, um, And work around it so that the goals that are being set are realistic. And Mm. the time management that we are talking about is realistic. And it's not just this one part of you. Mm -hmm. And it has been really inspiring for other offices. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say that coming into other meetings and doing something as simple as like a brief check-in before we dive into the work um, Mm -hmm. folks feel seen and they feel heard Mm -hmm. and they feel acknowledged. And, um, for at least my staff, um, they, you know, there's a difference between being a boss and a leader, right? And Mm -hmm. they genuinely want to work and they genuinely want to work as a team and work towards the same goal. And we want to cover one another. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not a, it's, it's not, um, I know how to put this like we want to cover one another I guess yeah.
0: that's the best mm-hmm. way to say it mm-hmm. yeah. um. there's, there's there's not just like um oh I'm gonna make sure I do my my uh work at my job because I'm gonna get paid like I'm gonna make sure that I do my work because there's this understanding in this relationship that like we're all gonna make sure that this gets done and I don't want to drop that yeah. kind of thing Well, at least that's how I feel you know, I'm, like, I'm not doing this just... I mean, I need money, obviously. Yeah. But, like, it's also, like, there's this understanding that I'm part of this, like, team. And they'll understand me when I have an issue or I have something that comes up. So I'm going to understand that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Right? There's not this, like, oh, well, if you fail, that was your job. Yeah. And, like, this is my job. And so there's that if you fail, we all fail kind of thing. And yeah. so we're in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's that, that buy-in, which all Ultimately, increases productivity, anyways, right? Which is yeah. like not the goal, but it happens. Yeah,
0: um, maybe like productivity is like a side effect. Yeah, what exactly. Is going on? Exactly. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's how I kind of see it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
2: and I think the one thing, and I don't know how much you. want are going to talk about this, but coming to work as a full self also means bringing in mental health. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Like,
0: I talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Like what it means to, um, because I have incredible anxiety. And so how do I navigate being productive and, you know, my productivity will never decrease because my anxiety won't let it. So mm-hmm. when, you know, how do we also, because we're a university, so we're also teaching our student workers and our student staff, we're teaching them, like, how to be productive and work with mental health yeah. as opposed to pretending that it doesn't exist. Yes. Um, and I think that matters For as well. For sure.
0: It definitely matters to me. So.
1: Yeah. Which <laughs> is always better. Like, because, okay.
0: right? <laughs> you know, sometimes I would, like, you know, before, um, I would feel so anxious or I just could not focus. I would just, like, sit at my desk and play a video that I was not paying attention to, and just, like, worry for, like, two hours. Like, bitch, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's, like, so awkward. But now it's like, oh, no, I know what to do. Like, I know who to talk to, or I know what's what being expected of me, and it's okay if, like, for a moment I need to take this, like, time to, like, center myself again kind mm-hmm. of thing.
1: Yeah. And I think with mental health, like right, a huge part of being able to cope with it is to acknowledge it yeah. and have that validated. So... You know, I'm not gonna just my depression or anxiety isn't just gonna go away, uh-huh. but when I can walk into work and say, I'm feeling extremely anxious today, this is why, and just to be like, Yep, that totally makes sense, automatically, I'm gonna feel a little bit better, right? Yeah. And so, being able to navigate those spaces is a lot easier when I don't have to hide it because that's an additional layer of anxiety, yeah. right? Or isolation, yeah, um, which is high-end high mental health issues, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And for folks who who do really care about capitalism
2: and numbers? Like it increases staff retention and job satisfaction. So Perfect. it's a win-win-win,
1: right? <laughs> because everybody. turnover
2: is expensive. Hiring, onboarding, search mm-hmm. companies—that's just expensive. Takes mm-hmm. a lot of time. Yeah, it sure does. Mm-hmm. And so, um, not to say that we haven't had turnover in this office. We've had quite a bit. Yeah. Um, because for me, and I'm still learning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, folks have to be coachable. In order for me to supervise the way that I supervise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very clear about, like, I am very flexible on the way that work gets done, but I am not flexible on the deadlines Mm -hmm. and the productivity. Mm -hmm. And I will... You know, for me, because I'm still learning my supervision style, it really only works if someone trusts me enough to be coachable. But that trust only comes if I'm willing to be open, honest, transparent, somewhat vulnerable, right? So it really, it takes something. Yeah,
0: And some folks,
2: that's not the supervision that they want to do. They want to do... They just want to be in and out, or they're yeah. not supervisors because they genuinely enjoy training and developing other people. They're supervisors because they know the work, and they've been in the work for a long, for a time, long time, and it's about time that they got promoted. Yes, exactly. I can
0: see that. So, are there like, any last words or maybe, like, one piece of advice you could give to someone who maybe wants to broach this topic with their supervisor? Hmm.
2: Hmm. I would say, hmm um if they want to introduce trauma informed supervision to their own supervisor really have an understanding of how safe that relationship is mm-hmm. um and if it is not safe if it's um if that supervisor is going to take it personally be defensive potentially retaliate um then consider um maybe kind of establishing their own safety first mm-hmm. you know know the yeah. policies know the procedures um mm-hmm. That's it. That, you know, probably don't put that communication in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say for supervisors who are interested in implementing this form of supervision, you know, do the homework. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of research or at least resources available on specifically trauma-informed supervision, but being trauma-informed or even healing-centered or some other terms to use, there is... I mean, there are
1: resources out there. Yeah, yeah there, it's
0: are. Out there I mean, Google is here. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank, um, you, um, thank you, listeners. Make sure you follow us at UNOV underscore jnwc on Instagram, on Twitter at UNOV Care Talk. Oh, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes and hang out with us March 5th for our next episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a good week. Bye.
1: Bye.